the evening, I have the pleasure uh, of uh, having Kitumetsi Fatimata Mutluate, uh, who is a, a feminist uh, social worker and social development facilitator and a founder and chairperson of the Black Woman Caucus as our thought leader on this Thursday. Comrade Fatima, good evening to you and welcome. Uh, such a real pleasure to have you uh, on the show um when i was uh, convincing my bosses that uh, hey we need to speak to uh, the leader of the black woman caucus um and they were saying yeah hey, but we don't know this but i say hey hey, <laughs> hey. So, uh, uh, but uh, Fatima, I mean, just, just just before we get to all of the brilliant work that you were doing with uh, the Black Women's Caucus and even with the crisis of care um, and really a lot of the policy work you guys have uh, done and uh, you continue to anchor that space, um, you know, for, for the struggle that you're undertaking. Let's take a step back and try and understand, you know, Fatima behind the activist. Um so, who is, uh, you know, Kitumeti, Fatimata, uh, what's, uh, what's your background and I guess what, what was the genesis uh, of your own concerns about gender, social and economic justice? Oh, I mean, where do I start? Um, born and bred in Johannesburg, uh, so I'm the original city girl. <laughs> uh, grew up in the south of Johannesburg. Um, come really from a, you know, structured, uh, very healthy home, you know, have my parents, two younger sisters. Mm. Uh, I think I I think I grew up in what seemed like you know the traditional uh, entry middle class life. You know, went to a good school, multiracial school. Uh, started speaking English first before I spoke any other language mm. because we are integrated into a system, of course. Um, but you know, something really pivotal happened in 2017. So in 2017, there was a case, um, one of the first times I'd ever, you know, engaged with a femicide case, you know, in mainstream media. And at the time, uh, well, not 2017, rather, I was 17 at the time. Mm. Um, And that was (laughs) a couple of years ago. I was 17 years at the time, and there was a case, um, there was a murder by um, a girl called Aline Boyson. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, from the Cape Flats. Mm. I mean, she was 17, I was 17. She was killed by her partner and gang raped, you know, with his friends. Mm. And and this happened on a night going out. And I thought to myself, at that time, at the age of 17, I was also, you know, jumping over the walls, trying to sneak out and go out with my friends. And I think that was the biggest culture shock I'd ever experienced, at least at that age, to say somebody who seems to be living a similar a similar life to me has such a tragic ending. And I had my first campaign. It was called uh, Black Fridays. I sold uh, the ribbons, black ribbons for two rand, and all mm. the proceeds went to a child's home. Almost a decade later, and then I am the founder and chair of a feminist organization called Black Women Caucus. Sure. I think the consistency of the word black mm. is something very interesting. Um, um, and, and a lot happens in between, right? Of I, course. I, sure, of course. sure. A, a lot happens in between. We get exposed. We get almost co-opted uh, into the Fees for student movement, which was really important in shaping and cultivating my politics, my understanding. So I think at first glance, as a black woman in South Africa, you know, I'm already aware that there's an othering. There's a structural alienation 
you know, that I'm subjected to. Mm. But when I get into uh, when I get into this first year of social work, I'm now given a language to articulate these oppressions and struggles. But also what, you know, Fees Fault did for me was that it sharpened the contradictions, but also gave me the tools of analysis to say, okay, this is how you analyze society. Uh, what from your analysis would you like to change? You know, uh, what do you think needs to stay? What needs to go? And so I fell in love with feminism. And in between, I stumbled into, uh, uh, in between, a Black Women Caucus was formed and it's growing. And I find myself at the helm of, you know, creating alternative feminist mm. discourse approaches to how we view and engage society. Sure, sure. And, and you know, Fatima, for me, what, what is so interesting if I think, um, you know, just about the history of the women's movement in South Africa, rich history, mm-hmm. uh, and it's often not told. And so, you know, a lot of people were complaining when there was uh, a very contentious debate uh, between uh, Atambila Masola and uh, Panasha Chikumadzi in, in the Sunday papers mm-hmm. about the memory of Charlotte Makleke, because I, I felt it was such an important learning experience and a historicization of Charlotte uh, and the women's movement that she was also a part of. She didn't start it. There were other women even before her who had crystallized and started to to push the, the women's movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- when you think about the Black Women's Caucus in that historical relay, if I can say that, um, what do you see your role now being um, uh, uh, in that particular struggle? Uh, you know, some generations might say it was about, you know, fighting passes for women. In some cases, you know, embedding progressive gender-sensitive legislation at a certain stage in our struggle. But now, where are we? Mm, mm, mm. No, thank you. Thank you for that. I think, you know, firstly, as a disclaimer, it's always important to note that what we're doing now is not new, right? Uh, In fact, it is a continuation of a very long struggle. And I think at this point in time, we find ourselves as a generation to have been exposed to education, educational opportunities, which have also broadened our understanding and analysis of the world. And I think the big gap is in how do we, now that we have, you know, the understanding of what the problem is, what does the solution look like, right? And what does the solution look like beyond moments or eruptions in history? But what are sustainable solution building and finding look like in this context? And I think, you know, you know what, what, the, what the women's movement continues to do and has continued to advocate for is really a radical alternative to what we see in society, right? And that's very important because the moment we're not contesting ideas in society, number one, we're really not enjoying the full capacity of democracy, but also we are not allowing for, you know, for the evolution of society to take place. And I think that, you know, as a young feminist who's leading a contemporary feminist mm. movement, ours is really to do the imaginative work, sure. but also pushing for a structural change to be able to accommodate what mm. that imaginative work looks like. You know, and that's not easy, of course. It means that our struggle is not only located in a single site. Mm. You know, it needs to be located at several sites, sure, at sure. intersecting sites, at various Fatima. levels of society. Fatima? I, I want mm-hmm. us to pause on that point because that's the next thing I want us to talk about, the different sites and spheres of, and terrain of struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you guys went you know, to, to the seat of uh, financial capital not so long ago. And I'm quite interested, I guess, in how you draw those relational links between the firm, the market, the home, 
and I guess the, the society sort of broadly defined. And we'll come back to that, but we need to take a quick spot break. And when we come back, we continue our conversation with uh, Kitumetsi Fatimata Mutuate, uh, who is the chairperson and uh, founder of the Black Woman Caucus. It is indeed, and our thought leader on this Thursday is Kitumetsi Fatimata Mutuate, who is a, a feminist social worker and a social development practitioner, an activist and a founder uh, of the, and uh, chairperson of the Black Woman Caucus. And uh, Comrade Fatima, before we went to um, the break, you, you were talking about these different sites, sort of spheres or terrain of struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm quite interested, I guess, uh, you know, in you unpacking what you mean by that. Um, and more importantly, the role of the ambit of the home in those struggles, because, mm. you know, we sometimes uh, are unable to concretize the distribution of power and power relationships and even material relationships within the ambit of the home, let alone getting to the firm and to the broader economy. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, you know, I have my my school of thinking is largely uh, influenced by the fact that I am a social worker, so I've been trained as a social worker. And one of the skills social work teaches you is to always have a holistic approach and view of a situation or a problem or a social phenomena. And so when we think about, you know, so the three main spheres in which we analyze social phenomena in social work is through the micro, which is what you refer to as your individuals and families, the meso, which is groups, and macro, which is what we look at institutions of governance, you know, you know, all the big guns, basically. And so what 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 we've seen over the years is that, you know, in most cases, a lot of the sites of activism, right, and resistance happens at a at, at, at a micro meso level, right? Where we see groups, individuals targeting issues to say, you know what, if if we're targeting the fact that GBV is a problem in our in, in our society, in most cases we see we go we provide court support. You know, we want to do we want to do the engagement, the education, mm. you know, teaching people and learning, relearning, you know. But a big time, the massive gap we're seeing is in the macro level. That's the institution. Because I argue that a lot of the problems, particularly in South Africa, are the way they are because of a lack of institutional reform, right? 27 years into democracy, and we have seen that, you know, we're, all, we're almost fed the idea that we are a liberated democratic society, and of course democracy is packaged so nicely that we automatically assume that the realization of these rights will just come instantly, mm. and that hasn't necessarily been the case. And the reason why this isn't the case is because we haven't seen much change at, at structural level. And as a result, we just see that these, you know, you know, these oppressions, these violences keep reproducing themselves. So it's very important in the line of work that we do, specifically when working with vulnerable groups, that we are intentional and deliberate about making sure our interventions are speaking to not only individuals and families, but are also, you know, holding institutions and structures accountable. Mm. For example... We know that South Africa currently, as it stands, is seen as the rape capital of the world, which is not anything to be proud of, right? Mm. We've got femicide rates amongst the highest globally. We have a youth unemployment sitting at over 70%. We have a substance abuse crisis in our country. More and more people are, are being pushed into precarious workforce, which at times take an illegal form. Right. And so all these manifestations of violence, of course, need to be also understood from a gendered perspective at all times. 
right? Uh, I can't look at the high rates of, of, of youth unemployment without bringing in a gendered perspective. But let's, let's take it a couple of steps back. Back to institutions mm. and structures. Gender-based violence and femicide has almost become second nature in this country. We've normalized violent ways of engaging with each other. And this is not only between men and women as we'd like to think about it. We're just talking about how we engage with each other in its entirety. We have inherited a colonial system that has almost normalized violence as a way of, of maintaining social cohesion and social form. So we bring it into the household. Dad or Shaba Mama. And his reason and rationality behind that is a form of instilling order. Mama Tsunsu Amamele. Mama must abide to me because I'm the man in the household. That same kind of system is no different to the way we see how the state uses state apparatus, such as the SNDF and the police structures, to, you know, to continue to subjugate and silence civic action, right? So the use of violence in this country has almost been normalized and, and it's seen as acceptable. But what the feminist movement seeks to do is to challenge that. To say you can't sell us a, a democratic uh, a narrative and say, hey, hey, South Africa is for all those who live in... Who? Who are the beneficiaries? Because I can't imagine my freedom existing or coexisting, you know, alongside extreme forms of violence. Mm. And this is why it's important for us to target the institutions that drive this violence. And this is why it was important in 2019 to see over 2,000 women and gender non-conforming folk march and shut down the richest square mile in Africa, demanding greater participation from private sector. Mm, mm. And I mean, I like that link you're drawing there because, I mean, material power, money, mm. is a big part of even the unequal power relationships within the household and the type of violence uh, that we see unfolding in the household. It, it's an outcome, yes, of unequal power relations and lupin patriarchy and all manner of other issues. But I like the point where you're saying even the locus of that power actually um, can be located, it can be given a name, it can be pointed out. Uh, because I'm also quite interested, I guess, in, in your view of a lot of the economic value, one that goes uncompensated, but that is invisibilized in how we value what value we attach to who does what kind of work. In a society where we know women are overrepresented in dangerous, uh, vulnerable and low-paid work. I mean, you know, and this is why as Black Women Caucus, we call for, uh, you know, a dynamic and a holistic understanding of the extent of gender-based violence. We are saying that it's not enough for us to reduce you know, the extent of the crisis to physical and sexual forms of violence on women in vulnerable groups. We are saying that we want to look at economic factors, social factors, and political as well as environmental factors that contribute to gender-based violence and femicide. You know, as I said, this violence does not just happen in a vacuum, right? In order for this violence to exist, it must be in a condition, in an environment that makes it favorable for it to exist in the first place. And I think at you know, the biggest dilemma we are facing as a country, to be quite honest with you, Aya, is around the economy, right? Mm. How the economy continues 
to serve an elite minority, right? And the consequences of, 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 of us not holding private sector accountable, of us not holding this elite minority accountable is, uh, is seen in the high uh, levels of violence we see in our communities. I mean, the unrecognition of, 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 of care work in itself is problematic. Mm. And comrades, when we talk about care work, let's, 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 think, let's be more expansive in our thinking and understanding. You know, right now the narrative is care work with domestic workers, right? Mm. Very important. Domestic workers are an extremely important ally, extremely important uh, social and economic group in the economic sector. However, when we think about care work, we think about community mobilizers. Those people who are actively Monday to Monday, Steve Wakokoning, he's always up and down in the community doing something. Right. That is an extension of care work mm. that is also not recognized. Sure, we sure. don't think about who provide informal psychosocial support services to communities mm. because our Department of Social Development is not doing good enough in terms of mainstreaming psychosocial support services. These women are at the backbone of, our, of, 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 of helping us respond to mental health issues in our communities, right? We don't want to speak to the fact that uh, when we talk about care work, we can't erase economic value and growth outside of the recognition of care work. We also have to be honest to say that the failure to recognize care work as work and its, and its economic value is a massive driver, number one, in, 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 in making women very vulnerable, and not just vulnerable in the sense of vulnerability, but vulnerable to violence, and most importantly, intimate partner violence. Mm. So when we, when we say we want a holistic understanding of gender-based violence, we are saying that it is not enough comrades for us to mobilize and to do the work that we do. And um, uh, it's not enough to just mobilize and do the work that we do by saying uh, hashtag RIP, that's not enough, comrades. You know, we can't even say that we want a strengthening of the justice system alone because we are still responding and not preventing. And the only way we can prevent violence, especially the violence of the nature we are seeing in South Africa, which is quite brutal and inhumane, requires us to be able to, you know, to to look at these institutions that drive and perpetuate a lot of the inequalities that breed violence. Hmm. You know, Fatima, just just as you're talking, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, have we as a society often tried to shine too much of the spotlight on the personal manifestations of this, uh, what in essence is a structural violence. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, I think what you were saying earlier on was this idea of using the Black Woman Caucus to introduce a new imaginary into feminist and gender struggles in South Africa. Um, and I'm interested to hear what your view is on sort of what that looks like in the systemic sense, because uh, you guys have also earmarked policy as a very critical space where you want to work uh, and I think policy also has some systemic value, but in some cases, you know, can't be seen as a substitute for grassroots organizing and struggle. Course, how are you seeing that? How are you making sense of that? And uh, what's your assessment, I guess, of um, the level of discussion at the policy level about some of these issues? Mm. I mean, you know, as I said earlier on that our interventions must happen at all levels of society. You know, the constant, when we say, when Black Women Caucus says we are organizing for survival, Ayabola, we are 
saying that we are all we are actively organizing in our communities to build a strong organic alternative voice that is going to be able to influence and challenge the institutions that govern them. Mm. And what does this look like? And I think comrades, we are all comrades. Now this is a safe space for comrades. Né? In, uh, in, in retrospect, there is a massive space of vacuum in terms of the work that we do, in terms of mobilizing our, communi- our communities. But when we shut down all that nice direct action, mm. there, there, is a, there is a huge gap between that and what gets implemented, mm. you know, and, and what gets legislated. And in most cases, all, a lot of our activists think that the big work is actually there. But the real work is ensuring that what you have brought to the ground from the ground is able to be translated and influences institutions that govern them. And so an example, right? So we know that in 2018, we saw one of the biggest feminist uprisings under the banner, the total shutdown, right? Which saw uh, 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 shutdowns happening across the country at national key points, right? But the real work and the real success of that total shutdown is not the fact that we, we filled up the streets. Yes, it was an important site, right? You know, because we also understand that politics is, is expressive. It, it, uh, politics requires to be performed to some extent. Mm. You know, sometimes we need to go out and demonstrate that, you know, when we say we've got collective power. However... The real change happened when you saw feminist feminist activists, organizers who continued and pushed for the real concessions in terms of the uh, the formulation and development of the national strategic plan on gender-based violence and femicide. Mm. In fact, I argue to say that document in itself is a is a blueprint and is an indication of years of mobilization sure. in our communities. Right. And you can tell the approaches, you know, they reflect that, you know, there was an engagement with our societies. You know, this, this, you know, our solution is not because we're thumbstacking it, but it's a mandate. Mm. And I think it's important that we we, we think about our activism like that. You know, we must not only think about our activism activism as shut down, but also Mm. think about how does it influence, you know, policy ultimately. Mm. So you you guys also were able, I guess, to to go and negotiate uh, or have the sort of uh, negotiations with the business uh, and others to create a response fund, uh, which I guess is also part of this stakeholder engagement and the policy work that you do. Where's that fund now? Uh, and I guess, yeah, what are some of the issues there? I mean, I, I think many people would be interested to find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fund is there, it exists. Uh, I think um, what many people don't know is that when we marched to the Johannesburg Stock Exchange on the 13th of September in 2019, uh, we had several demands that we had made to private sector. Of course, the easiest one to mobilize around was, you know, the issue on funding the fight. Um, As I said to you earlier on that, I mean, private sector in this country remains. We love by Whenever in Jehoshua in this country, they are literally nowhere to be found. Mm. And so, you know, you know, the Samson shutdown was a provocation to say, private sector, you are also a massive driver of the issues in in our society. The establishment of the fund in itself is meant to function in terms of uh, and help towards the implementation of the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based mm. Violence and Femicide. Sure. Now, this plan is a 10-year plan between 20... 20- Hello? 
Yeah, sorry about that. Fatima, I, I guess it would be wrong of me, uh, nearing as we are the end of our conversation, uh, to not play this back for you. Take a listen to this. Okay, so that wasn't the one I was looking for. But you know the one I'm looking for. Yeah, Is that you there? That Is that you there? <laughs> well, I don't know. That was also such a volatile and beautiful time, you you know, of, of, of my own journey. Uh, but we did a lot of work during that time, Ayabonga. And I think, uh, you know, many times activists don't pat themselves mm. enough on the back, uh, you know, when it comes to the contributions they've made sure. to some of the reforms we see in society, they're not always the way we envision them to happen, but the change is happening nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we say kudos to you uh, here on Metro FM Talk for, for the great work that you have done and that you continue to do. Um, and uh, we certainly hope that uh, many people will join, many people will support the work that you do. Um, and always know, I guess, this is a space uh, to come and share uh, 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 the progress of that work and uh, I guess to continue to hold that space and to anchor that space. And uh, we thank you and uh, we appreciate you. And uh, this evening, you are our thought leader. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank awesome you. Awesome stuff. That, that there is Kitumeti uh, Fatimata Mutuatse, uh, who is the founder and uh, a chairperson of the Black Women's Caucus and our thought leader on this Thursday.